morning, good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Everybody doing well? Amen. Glad to be in the family and fellowship community. We're celebrating the gospel this morning. Amen. Amen. So excited about what God is doing in our lives and what He has done through His sacrifice, His resurrection, His ascension. He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. So excited to be here together with you. For those watching us at home, so glad you're able to be with us and worship together. Just a few announcements before we. Get our time to sing to the Lord. Uh, today at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary is our every other Sunday evening prayer time. So at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we'd love you to come and join us uh, to pray and pray for our church families and the region things going on in our lives, in our community, in our nation. And so we just want to encourage you to be a part of that. Men, last announcement for the men's backpacking trip uh, this coming weekend, Saturday night into Sunday, the 16th and 17th in Pine Mountain. Details and registration are still on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. Today is the last day to register. Just remember, today is the last day. So uh, just a reminder for that for next weekend. Many of you, if you've gone across the email address, which we'd love to have it on yet, email was sent on a Friday from South Quebec. Um, and he made an announcement last week about the opportunity that we have to want to build a mercy ministry team coming out of our Hopes ministry. As we're helping um, families at uh, Capitol Heights Middle School and other community. Um, we want to form a team to better um, utilize our opportunities to serve those in that community who are struggling with poverty and needs. So if you would like to help with that ministry team, um, please email Seth. Um, there it is, SethRoot.RebeccaGmail.com. The email has a cell phone as well and an email address. Um, but just pray and take that to the Lord if your heart is for mercy ministry to be able to help um, Yeah. 
So when we're singing this song, when we're singing about God's glorious day, we're singing about his glory and just his 
his fame and his renown that is over all of us and how it pierces through even the darkest of nights and even through the darkest experience of our lives. So we are here singing this song, encouraging one another to remember that God is with us and to glorify him for that promise that he's given us through his son Christ. So listen to these words and just reflect on that at this time. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy. At the weight of your glory, I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you called me a citizen of heaven. When I was This is Lazarus being dead in the grave, and Christ told him, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus awakened from his dead. We being, as C.J. Ridley, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and we were made alive by Christ. Christ looked to us, and in our salvation, said, come forth, and we awoke, and our eyes were open to Christ as he revealed himself to us. So as we get ready to sing this, and as we look later in the sermon, just... um, is our sin being forgiven on the cross, Christ coming and forgiving us, that he paid it all. Change the leper's spots in 
Jesus made it all and all to him I go sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as The Lamb of 
Father God, we, we just reflect on all that you have done to, to bring us into relationship, into family with you. It is not by us, and we read that in Ephesians, those same verses that CJ read. All, all we bring is screwed up lives, the, the, the words that about I'm breathing but I'm dead. That's all we bring. That's, that's what we bring when we're in the family. But you see us, you see us through different lens. You, you see us through the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf. That, that uh, verse, but God, but God sees us as, as children of his, the beloved children, chosen, and in his family. And he looks at the things that we engage in and he speaks into those. We pray that your spirit in us will speak words that uh, we we hear and will direct us in ways that we should go and the words that we should say and uh, the words that we shouldn't and the things that we shouldn't engage in. We thank you for that. And, uh, we, we come before you just lifting up the church as, as a whole, things that we're engaged in in different parts and thank you for the work that you're doing in different parts of the world and we just pray for that as that goes forward and your glory is reflected. We, we in our various um, workplaces and homes and neighborhoods that you allow us to reflect your glory in those locations. We pray for those that are doing that in different parts of the world and they're suffering as a consequence of it. We lift up to you the, the young people that were kidnapped out of the the school in Nigeria, and just we pray for, we pray for their safety. We pray for their uh, encouragement and, and what would be incredibly uh, challenging circumstances. We pray for their families. We pray for them to be returned to you. We pray for you to use that in ways that we can't see and we don't understand for, for your glory and for your purposes. We pray for uh, Lenny and Debbie as they serve the community here through Shepherd Staff and we thank you for their work. We pray that uh, your spirit is in them and is working through them to the, to the um, glory and to the betterment of the young people that they are interacting with. We pray for Jay Cooper at First United Methodist Church in, in Cloverdale. I pray that as they meet this morning that, that your word goes forth in, in truth and in clarity and that lives are touched and that uh, you, uh, you were glorified in that, in, that, in that time and in those lives. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to, to meet this morning. We thank you that COVID is pulled back in many cases and there are not as many cases. We, we are thankful that we can join together in this service and, 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 be, and be a more comfort doing that. We pray that that continues. An answer to prayer or praise for how things have been in months past. And we thank you for that. We remember you for, for what you're doing there. We, we uh, thank you for the giving that's done and uh, pray that you will multiply that and help us as a, as a body here to leadership here to, uh, to use those funds in a way that, that uh, magnifies you. And uh, we pray for your word as it's opened this morning that Grady speaks your words. 
and that uh, we are, are listening. We have ears to hear, and we're listening with a heart to, to do and act and believe in, in a way that strengthens our faith and, and uh, reflects well on you. In Jesus' name. So right down this hallway here, for first and fourth graders, there we go. But it's good, it is good to see you this morning, grateful to be back with you, Gateway family. If you're new to Gateway this morning, visiting with us, we're continuing a year-long journey we have in seeking to be more rooted in what we believe, more grounded in the unchanging Word of God, to understand what the Bible teaches, the depths of what the Bible teaches about who God is and who we are and how we can be in a relationship with Him. Now, we're being guided through this year-long study with something called a catechism, just a series of questions and answers to help the church grow in what the church believes. We're using one called the New City Catechism. And today we come to question 25 of our study, question 25, and is this, does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? So I think we have the question up on the screen for you. Does Christ's death mean that all of our sins can be forgiven? Forgiven. This is really a follow-up to everything we've been seeing in recent weeks. We've been seeing over and over our sinfulness, our great sinfulness. We've been seeing our inability to get to God. We've been seeing our desperate need for a Redeemer, someone to rescue us and bring us back to the Lord. We've seen how Jesus is the Redeemer and how Jesus died to redeem us and to forgive us for our sins. Today we come to the question, does Christ's death, does the Redeemer's death, mean that all of our sins can be forgiven? Could every one of the sins we've ever committed really be forgiven? Now, if you've been with us any length of time, you already know the answer to this question. If you're listening to the songs we were singing this morning, you already know the answer to this question, because we were just singing about that, my sin erased, my debt erased. We've just been singing all the morning long about the answer to this question. So here's our easy question for you to answer this morning. Does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? Okay, good. You got the answer to the question. So we have the answer to the question. 100% of our sins, every single one we've committed or will commit, if we're in Christ, they are forgiven. Now, we know the right answer. So the question really is, do we really embrace that truth in such a way that it changes us? Because as believers, I mean, we hear this truth, we hear this question, and Alexander, if you want to put the question back up on the screen, we can keep it up there. We know the the question, we know the answer, but is it embracing our lives in such a way that it's changing us to where it is transforming us? Friends, there's a danger that we've seen in other parts of our study where we get so familiar with these concepts, with these truths, with the right answer, that we can miss the wonder and miss the depth of it. And friends, though it should not, this truth that every sin we've ever committed will be forgiven can lead us to excuse sin in our life. It can lead us to presume upon God's grace and to yawn when we think about it because we're so familiar with it. Instead, though, this truth that every sin we've ever committed and will commit is forgiven in Christ, instead, that should fill our hearts with wonder, that should lead us to a place of worship, that should lead us to hate the sins that we're forgiven of, it should lead us to seek grace to be more and more like Jesus. And so, friends, my desire for us this morning as we look at this question is, yes, to be reminded of the answer that you already know, that we just said that we know that if we're in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. But even more than that this morning, my desire for us is to rediscover the wonder of it, to recapture the beauty of this truth, and to realize how this truth, that all of my sins and all your sins are forgiven in Christ, how that truth should change our 
lives. Now, to accomplish that this morning, we're going to go to a text that you may not be very familiar with. We're going to go to an Old Testament minor prophet. Now, we think about the Old Testament. Prophets are people who spoke on behalf of God. And in the Old Testament, you have major prophets and minor prophets. Now, you may know this, but when we talk about minor prophets, they're not minor because they're short. They're not minor because they're young. And they're not minor because they're insignificant anyway. They're just simply the shorter writings. And when the Old Testament was put together, the longer prophetic writings were put in one place. And all the shorter prophetic writings were put in one place. And so we're in the minor prophets this morning. I want you to find the minor prophet Zechariah. Not Zechariah with a Z-A. It's Zechariah with a Z-E. It's the next last book in the Old Testament. If you're not sure where to find it, find the Gospel of Matthew and go back just a few pages. In my Bible, it's just about six pages back from the Gospel of Matthew. So the, the minor prophet of Zechariah this morning. Now, since you may not be very familiar with Zechariah, it's not a book I've ever preached out of during my five years or so years here at Gateway. I want to give you a little background so we understand what we're looking at, because context is so important in studying the Word of God. Like I mentioned, Zechariah is a prophet. That's like Isaiah. He's someone who spoke on behalf of God, and particularly he spoke to God's people, messages from God to his people. He often warned people about sin. He called people to repent. He would tell what was still to come, what we would call a prophecy. And so Zechariah did all those things. His writings are short, so he's a minor prophet, but he brought these messages from God to God's people, calling them In addition to being a prophet, Zechariah was also a priest. He led people in the worship of God. Now, Zechariah served in 520 B.C. So we're talking about 520 so years before Jesus came. Zechariah was a prophet for God's people and a priest for God's people. In particular, when Zechariah, what we're looking at this morning, was written, the Jews who had been in captivity in the nation, in the area of Babylon, had returned to Jerusalem. And so he's speaking to the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem, and he's speaking to them when things were not going well. The rebuilding of the temple had stalled. They had their dreams of the temple going back up, and it had stalled. Many of the Jews had not been able to return. The walls of the city to protect them from the nations were in ruins. They were being harassed by the surrounding nations. They were pretty unhappy people because they had really high taxes. Okay, That's the context of what he was writing into. And God's people were discouraged because they had high taxes, because they were being harassed, and because things weren't going well. They began to think that God had forsaken them. Life was not going as planned, and so it became easy for them to think, where is God in this, and to begin to excuse sin in their life. They began to buy the lie, if life is hard, God doesn't really care, therefore I'm going to do what I want to do. And friends, human nature has not changed in the 2,500 years or so since this was written. There's still a temptation for us when we face brokenness and pain and hardships in life to think, where is God? Why is my life hard? And to begin to excuse and justify sin in our, in our lives. And so with that situation, Zechariah comes on behalf of God to speak really two messages to the people, then and now. He came to remind the people that God cared for them, that hardships in your lives and trials you are walking through is not a sign that God has forsaken you. That just because life is hard doesn't mean where is God. God is right here using those trials to bring good to us and to bring glory to himself. And so Zechariah reminds people that God cares for them. He also came to call people to repent of their sins, to stop excusing, to stop justifying the sins of their life. Now, for God to give this message to his people in the first half of the book of Zechariah, God gives Zechariah eight different visions, eight different insights into spiritual and heavenly realities he normally wouldn't see. We're looking at one of those this morning. We're looking at the fourth vision that God gives Zechariah, and it's in Zechariah chapter 3. So flip over to Zechariah chapter 3 this morning. Now, before we read our text here this morning, I just want to remind you, this is a vision. This is a glimpse into heavenly realities that normally we would not see. And so, yes, we're going to pick it apart like we normally do and look at the details But I want us to not miss the big picture of this. So as we are reading it this morning, 
I want you to try to visualize what we're reading, okay? I want you to try to turn on your heavenly creative imaginations, okay? And try to picture the scene that we're seeing set before us. Because I want us to see the beauty of what God is showing and how that really answers our question, can all of our sins be forgiven? So with that in view, I want us to read God's Word. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll have the words on the screen as well. Zechariah chapter 3, we're going to read the first Five verses. Again, try to visualize this scene as we read it. Zechariah 3 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel. Clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you have recorded for us and given us this incredible glimpse into a spiritual reality to what was happening at this time. Lord, I pray you would use your word this morning, this fourth vision that Zechariah was given. I pray you'd use it this morning to open our eyes to the truth. We've just said we believe and know you've forgiven us of all our sins, but I pray you'd use this vision from Zechariah, Lord, to open our eyes to the wonder of it, to recapture our hearts, Lord, to see how glorious you are and to see how sweet your forgiveness really is. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? Absolutely yes. And let's look at that in this vision. Let's start with the scene to make sure we understand what's happening here. Let's go back to verse 1 this morning of Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Let's start with who we see in the scene. First of all, you have Zechariah here, the prophet. He's the me in verse 1. Then he showed me. So the me is Zechariah. That's one we're just talking about who's receiving this vision from God. But Zechariah is not just like a passive guy sitting here having some dream here. So we'll see in a few minutes, he actually is very actively involved in what's happening as he speaks into the situation and things change, which we'll explore in just a minute. So you have Zechariah here. You have God the Father here. That's the he. Then he, God the Father, showed me Zechariah. You'll see God the Father throughout this. The Lord. The Lord's in all capitals. That's the name Yahweh for the Old Testament name of God here. God's revealed name of himself. So you'll see God the Father throughout this. But you also see in this text Jesus. Maybe thinking, okay, I don't see Jesus. We just read this. I don't see anything about Jesus in here. Where is Jesus in here? He's actually called the angel of the Lord here. This is the pre-incarnate. Pre-incarnate just means this is, he's not come. The incarnation hasn't happened. Christ coming in human flesh has not happened. Christ has not yet taken on a human body. But this is the second person of the Trinity, the one true God, Jesus, God the Son, who's always existed before he took on a human flesh and came to earth 520 or so years before that. Here he is standing there in heaven. Now, how do we know this guy called the angel of the Lord really is Jesus? Well, really two ways in this text. Number one, you have to look at the scene. This is a courtroom setting here. Do you see you have a defendant in Joshua? You have an accuser coming before him. It says they're before the angel of the Lord. The way this scene is described in Jewish history, this would be the judge that was standing before. The angel of the Lord is put in the place of the judge here. As you know throughout Scripture, the only one who can pronounce judgment over sin and forgiveness of sin is none other than God himself. So this scene shows us the angel of the Lord in the place 
of God. And then second of all, how do we know it's Jesus? Because he does what only God can do. As we'll see in a few minutes in verse 4, he himself forgives sin. He himself removes iniquity. Only Christ can do that. So this person called the angel Lord is none other than the Lord Jesus. So you have God the Father, you have the Lord Jesus, you have Zechariah seeing all this, and you have this guy named Joshua here in verse 1 as well. Now just quick clarification This is not the Joshua who led the people into the promised land, okay? That's a different Joshua from a different period of Old Testament history. Joshua was a very common name. It's a name that simply meant the Lord saves. So parents love the name Joshua. So lots of kids were named Joshua at the time because it meant the Lord saved. The Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come. So they named their boys this name that reminded them that the Messiah was still to come, that the Lord was going to save his people. So this is not the Joshua who took them in the promised land. This is a high priest. The guy who led the people in the worship of God. This is the guy who was so important at the time, because this is before Jesus came. He was the intermediary between God and people. He is the one who would, on the Day of Atonement, go into the most holy place in the temple and make a sin sacrifice on behalf of all the people to atone for all their sins. So he had this really important job of being the intermediary between God and God's people. There's one more individual you see here in this scene, and that is Satan standing at the right hand to accuse. This Satan, his name is Lucifer. He is a very real spiritual being. He's the angel who became jealous of God's glory sometime after creation, who won it for himself, who tried to get it for himself, and led a rebellion of other angels in heaven against God, which was foolish because only God is sovereign and supreme. He was kicked out of heaven, but he still opposes God. Now, as you've heard me mention before, you've been around Gateway, the name Satan was actually not his name. The spiritual being, his name is Lucifer. Satan was a title that was used to describe him. The word Satan in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in, means accuser. And so even in places where you have people talk about other Satans, people who would accuse them and oppose them. But throughout history, for the Jewish people, because Satan opposed God's people so much, they began to call him the accuser. Because he'd tempt people to sin and then accuse them for their sin. He'd accuse people before God, as we'll see here today. So this title to describe him, this description of the accuser for Lucifer, eventually became used almost like a name for him because it describes so well what he did. So that's, this, that's the, the people, if you will, who you see right here at the beginning of the vision. Now, what's the situation that we're, we're, we're seeing unveiled before us here? This Satan, Lucifer, the accuser, he's standing in a heavenly court scene ready to accuse. Look at the end of verse 1 here again. You have Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So literally, you have the accuser standing to accuse here. Again, in Jewish courts, the person at the right hand was the prosecutor. The person at the right hand was the accuser who was bringing the evidence to say this person is guilty and deserves the punishment for their crimes. Now, here's the problem that we're seeing in verse 1. What Satan is about to say is true. Satan is not bringing lies about Joshua. He's about to point out what is actually true, that Joshua is guilty, that Joshua is full of sin, that Joshua is full of defilement. Look down at verse number 3 here to see what happens here. And the angel, sorry, verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, and it says he's clothed with what? Filthy garments. Now, this is where our English doesn't really do justice for us here. Because the word filthy, I know what they're trying to communicate. The word here is a word that means excrement. Okay, so boys and girls, it means poop, okay? So that word filthy, you can translate in your Bibles into modern English with poop-covered garments, okay? With filthy, excrement-covered garments. The picture here that's being painted for us is Joshua's sin was so repulsive to God, it was as if his clothes were covered 
with excrement. Remember, Joshua's also the intermediary, so as he's standing before God, it's not only his own sin he's showing, he's standing before God, representing the Jewish people, and they were covered with excrement in God's eyes. They were so, so filthy with their sin. And friends, let me just remind us, that is how God views all sin. It shows us the way God views sin. It is a stench to him. It is offensive. It is gross. It is disgusting. At the very core, we are sinners, and our lives are full of sin. And so Satan knows that. So Satan's standing at the place of accusation, ready to point out the obvious, as if anything has to be said, because it's already obvious that Joshua is guilty. For instance, I was studying this week on this text. I came across something that just really arrested my attention. One of the authors said this. When Satan talks to us about God, he lies. But when he talks to God about us, he just tells the truth. Let us think When Satan talks to us about God, he lies, right? He's always trying to lie to us. Is God really good? Your life is hard. Where's God in this? Why are you having such difficulty? He, he's constantly lying to us about God, like he first did in the garden with Adam and Eve. But when Satan talks to God about us, he doesn't lie. He says, look, look at Grady's sin. Look at his sin. Look at her sin. He's just pointing out the obvious in God's presence there. He doesn't have to make up lies about us. Our lives are full of sin. Our lives are like filthy garment, excellent covered garments in the sight of God. Our lives are full of sin. I want you to notice something here. God does not listen to the accusation. And friends, we need to let this hope and this truth sink in. When you're struggling with guilt because of sin in your life, this truth needs to be precious to you. God does not listen to Satan's accusations. In fact, God doesn't even let Satan speak here. Satan's standing at the place of accusation, in the place of the prosecutor in a Jewish court, and God doesn't even let Satan open his mouth. He silences him before Satan even speaks, because he knows what Satan is wanting to point out here. And look at verse number two here of what we're told. And the Lord said to Satan, and notice this, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is a double rebuke. Satan hasn't even opened his mouth yet, and God is rebuking Satan for what he's about to say. This word rebuke is a really strong word. It's a word that doesn't just mean you're wrong. It's, this, it's a word that carries with the idea of anger, an anger that's about to be manifest. The Lord is saying to Satan, I am angry with you, and I'm about to manifest my anger against you because of what you are trying to do here. So why is God rebuking Satan? Why is God not going to even let Satan speak? Because all of Joshua's sins that are so obvious are already forgiven. There's nothing that Joshua can, that can be said about him because the sins that are so obvious have already been forgiven by God. All of his sin, all that filth covering him is already forgiven, as has the sin of the people and has our sin as well if we are in Christ. Now, where do we see the forgiveness of all sin here in this text? There's really three places that we see, and I want you to see these and see the wonder of this, of how we're forgiven of all of our sin. Look at that second verse as well here, when the Lord rebukes him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And notice this, he says, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is not a brand plucked from the fire. Now, where do we see forgiveness here? This is the word chosen. That God has chosen people to be his own. He's chosen to forgive certain people of their sins so we can adopt them and make him his own people. You see that in that next phrase. This is not a brand or a branch plucked from a fire. Fire is always an image of judgment in Scripture. And God is saying, yes, these are people who deserve judgment, but I have chosen to reach into the fire and pull them out of the fire. They are not going to face my judgment, my wrath. You have nothing to say, Satan, against these people because I have chosen to forgive them their sin. I have rescued them from any judgment that could be rendered against them. That's the first place we see forgiveness. We see it also in verse number 4. If you go down to verse 4 of Zechariah 3. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments, remove the sin 
from him, from Joshua. So remember, this is Jesus speaking here. This is the angel, this is Christ himself before he came in human flesh, saying to those who were standing before him. We don't know who those standing before him were. Perhaps it was the angels in heaven. We're not sure, but whoever the multitude is in heaven watching all this, he says to them, remove Joshua's filthy garments. Remove the sin from him. Because again, as I was reading this week, there were certain things that just really arrested my attention. One author said it this way, and this made me stop and think. He said, Jesus loathed the filthiness of Joshua's garments. Jesus loathed, he hated the filthiness of Joshua's garments. Yet he did not put Joshua away. He put the filthy garments away. And friends, let that sink in. Jesus doesn't like sin. He's not okay with sin. He never winks at sin. He's never okay with any sin. He hates, he despises, he loathes the sin in our life. But if we're in Christ, he doesn't put us away because of our sin. He puts that sin away from us and forgives us of all of that sin. There's one more place you see that we are forgiven here. It's in the same verse here. Lest we miss it, Jesus makes it so clear when after he removes the filthy garments from Joshua, he says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity. I've taken your sin away from you. That he says to Joshua, I have removed your sin. I've taken it. And how can he do that? What we've seen throughout all of our recent weeks, he's taken the sin upon himself. That Jesus himself takes Joshua's sin, his filth, his dirty clothes, and puts it on himself. And he himself bears the wrath of a holy God against sin, taking the punishment in our place. Because if you keep reading Zechariah, we don't have time to do it today, but there's different places throughout this letter where even later in chapter 3 you see one called the servant, which is how the prophets talked about the coming Messiah. You'll see the servant coming. He's sometimes called the branch here. And you'll see even in Zechariah's prophecy this foretelling of the one who would come and would take the sin away from people. And so you have Jesus standing here saying to Satan, I rebuke you because I've chosen to forgive Joshua. He says to Joshua, I'm going to forgive all your iniquity. He takes the dirty clothes off to show that Joshua is forgiven. We have these three powerful things to remind us that all of our sins, every single one of them, every sin we have committed, that we're committing right now, that we will commit, if we're in Christ, are forgiven. There's something else really important in this vision I don't want us to miss. When Jesus forgives our sin, it changes us very radically. When Jesus forgives our sin, it radically changes us. Now, how does it change Joshua here? There's two ways. There's many ways Jesus' forgiveness changes us. But there's two in particular that are highlighted in this vision I want us to see. Number one, when Jesus forgives us of all of our sin, it leads us to want to know God more. When Jesus forgives us of all of our sin, it leads us, it should drive us to want to know God more. Notice that when Jesus forgives Joshua of his sin... And he does this powerful image of taking away the filthy garments. He doesn't just take away the filthy garments and wash them and put it back on him. It's not like after you've gone to the gym or been out hiking, you've got your dirty clothes, you throw them in the washing and you put them back on, you have the same clothes on, just not quite as dirty. That's not what happens here. Notice what happens in the end of verse 4. He says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you. I've removed the filth. Notice this. And I will clothe you with pure, with holy, with royal vestments. Vestments is just a big word for clothing. And what Jesus is doing here in this powerful symbol for Joshua and all the others to see is not just that he says, hey, I'm going to take off your dirty gym clothes and rinse them off and put them back on you here. He says, I'm going to give you clothes that are fit to wear in the presence of the king. He says, you are to be in a relationship with God, and so I'm going to give you the right clothes so that you can be in the presence of God, to know God and to enjoy his presence. Friends, when God forgives us, he doesn't forgive us so we can go through life our own way, doing what we want to do our own way, living our own life in isolation from God, just not going to hell. He forgives us so that we can be in a deeper, real, intimate relationship 
with him. We get a glimpse of this when we study the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, verse 14. I want you to see this. If you were with us at Gateway several years ago, when we walked through John, you'll remember this one. But this is in the context of Jesus being the good shepherd. And all this thing about how he knows us and he calls us by name. That very first song we sang is that imagery of John 10, that he calls us by name. He says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. But notice he doesn't stop there. And my own know me. Friends, God forgives us of all of our sin, not for us to go live our lives however we want to. He forgives us of all of our sin so that we may know him, not just know about him. This word know is not intellectual knowledge. It's a life experience. If you're married, how you know your wife. If you're a kid, how you know your parents, where you're in a real relationship with people. This is the idea of it here, that you're in a deep personal relationship with God. God forgives us so we can be in his presence. He not just takes our sin, but he clothes us with pure vestments, pure clothing in a sense, so that we can be in his presence to know him more. Friends, when we understand all of our sins are forgiven, it should drive us to want to know God more, to want to read his word, to want to talk about him, to want to pray to him, to want to listen to him, to want to worship him, to be in a relationship with him. But there's a second way that total forgiveness changes Joshua here. And the second way is it leads him to want to serve God. It leads him to being able to serve God. So, friends, when we understand that we are completely forgiven, it should drive us, push us, lead us to want to serve God more. Now, look at verse 5. This, to me, is one of the most fascinating parts of this text. This, This is absolutely stunning and amazing to me. I mentioned earlier that Zechariah is not just sitting there passively watching all this. He becomes a participant in what's happening here. And so Zechariah sees everything. And in verse 5, in the eye here, Zechariah, and the eye, Zechariah said, okay, now just think about this. Zechariah's watching this situation in heaven with God and Jesus and God the Father and Jesus and Satan and Joshua all there together. And now Zechariah speaks up and he says something. He's so excited about all he's seen. He's so overwhelmed. He speaks into this situation. Here's what he says. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. Okay, well, what's significant about that? Friends, this is huge in what Zechariah is asking for. This is a massive Request. Now, to understand this, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus 28, verse 36, we get a glimpse in this whole chapter of Exodus 28. is about the priestly garments. God cares about all the details of how we approach him. And so even in the Old Testament times, God gave a whole chapter to how the priests were to dress in service of him. And here was what it says in Exodus 28. You shall make a plate of pure gold, and you're to engrave on it like the engraving of signet, holy to the Lord. Now, verse 37, what do you do with this plate that says holy to the Lord? You shall fasten it on the turban. By a cord of blue, the turban was what the priests wore on their head. By a cord of blue, it shall be on the front of the turban. So don't miss the significance of this. When God gives instructions for what the priests are to do in the temple, he says the priests were to wear a turban on their head, and it had to have a gold plate on it that said, Holy to the Lord, set apart for the Lord, pure before the Lord. This is what the priests had to wear when making sacrifices in the temple, when serving in the temple. So go back to Zechariah 3.5 and look at the significance of what Zechariah is asking for. And Zechariah says, let them put a clean turban with the inscription, holy to the Lord, onto Joshua's head. What, is he, what he's saying is that, God, this is great that you've forgiven Joshua. This is amazing that you've taken all this filth, this excellent covered clothes, taken it from him and put in clean royal clothes on him. It's great that you've shown us that you forgive all of the sin. That's amazing. But God, put him back into service of you. Don't sideline him for his sin. Put him back in the service of you. Restore him to the place of service so he can be in the temple, teaching people about God, leading people in the worship of God, making sacrifices. Push him back into service for you. Let him return to serving you. And when Joshua makes this, or when Zechariah makes this request, notice what God does not say. He's not like, that's none of your business. I'm God and you're not. Don't tell me what to do with Joshua. He doesn't rebuke him here. 
Because what Zechariah asked for is consistent with the will of God. Jesus forgives us of all of our sin so that we can be restored to a place of service to God and to others. So he agrees with Joshua's request. So verse 5 here, Zechariah says, let them put a clean turban on the head. They put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord, Jesus, was standing by approving, directing all that was happening. God honored Zechariah's prayer. Friends, God forgives us of our sins so that we can serve him. Now don't miss this. When Satan accuses us because of sin, he's trying to get us going in the exact opposite direction of this. Satan hates when God's people are serving God. He hates it when God's people are serving other people. And so what Satan wants to do, the reason why, even after you've, com- you've committed sin and you confess your sin, the reason why Satan keeps accusing you and trying to make you feel guilty and trying to show, tell you're unworthy to serve God is he is trying to sideline you from being involved in God's kingdom work. He keeps reminding you of your sins. He keeps accusing you of your sins that you're already forgiven of by God to get you self-focused and down in the dumps so that you quit serving God and feel, I'm not worthy to do anything for the Lord. And friends, if we're honest, Satan is really good at doing that with most Christians today. I can't help but wonder how many people are not serving God as they should, who are not using their spiritual gifts to serve God there because they don't feel worthy because they're listening to the lies of the enemy about who they are in Christ. Friends, God forgives us of all of our sins so we go in a deeper relation with him and so that we are pushed out to use our spiritual gifts to serve God, to make himself known. Now let's try to pull all that together from Zechariah's vision. So our question for the morning, does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? I want you to see the answer up on the screen. Here's our answer to bring all this together this morning. Yes, God forgives all of our sins so that we may know him and serve him. That yes, God forgives all of our sins, 100% of every sin I've committed, every sin I've committed recently, every sin I will commit, every sin you committed this week, you've ever committed, you will commit. If you're in Christ, they are already forgiven. They're not overlooked, they're not done away with because of anything we've done, but because Christ has taken them on himself and, taken the, and paid the price that we should have paid so that he can remove our filth and he can cover us with righteousness and make us belong to him. But he does not forgive us of our sins So we can go live our lives like we want to and just escape hell. He forgives us of our sins so that we can be in a deep, real, growing relationship with him. And so that we can serve him to make him known. So we can use our time, our talents, our money, our spiritual gifts to point people to Christ who don't know him. To encourage other believers, to build up the church, to take the gospel to the nations, to equip other people to do ministry, to be a light to others. He forgives all of our sins so that we may know him and serve him. And friends, that has huge implications for us. Yes, it's a great truth to believe. You already all know the answer, because we said at the beginning of the sermon. But the question for us is, are we embracing this truth we see here? Are we embracing it in such a way that's changing us? So I'm going to give you five questions I want you to think about and wrestle with this week to, to kind of mind the depths as you think about this vision that God gave Zechariah. I want to just briefly mention these that I hope you'll consider. Number one, are you confident every one of your sins is forgiven? That's the starting point, friends. Are you confident? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every sin you ever have committed and every sin you will commit is already taken care of because you belong to Christ? Do you know that you stand clean before God with clean garments, not because of you, but because Christ is done? So number one, are you confident every sin is forgiven? Number two, is that forgiveness sweet to you? That's where it gets a little bit more of an ouch for us. Is that forgiveness sweet to you, friends? We can get so accustomed to these truths, I think we can lose the wonder of these things. Is this truth like food for your soul? I was thinking about this week because of a real experience in our family sitting around the dinner table this week. Julia was trying her best to convince our kids of the merits of a cucumber sandwich, okay? 
she was trying so hard to convince our kids that this was good for them and nourishment for them and all the nutritional value of it. And our kids just weren't buying it. They're looking at the chocolate jar on the counter and they're looking at her cucumber sandwich. And their mouths are watering for the chocolate jar, not for the cucumber sandwich. Friends, when you think about God's forgiveness, I started asking myself, do I see God's forgiveness like the cucumber sandwich that's just good for me? Or is God's forgiveness to me like that chocolate Hershey's bar on the counter that I've been wanting all day, right? Is God's, is God's forgiveness that sweet to us to where we delight it, it's where our mouths almost water for it because we are so captivated by his presence. We're so captivated by his forgiveness that we just desire to know him more. So is his forgiveness sweet to you, number two? Number three, is that forgiveness enabling you to resist Satan's lies? Friends, is that forgiveness that you're experiencing in Christ enabling you to resist Satan's lies? Satan, Lucifer, is the accuser. He works all day to tell the truth to God about us and to lie to us about God and about ourselves. And he is working, if you are in Christ, he is working hard to convince you that you are not worthy to do anything for the Lord. He's lying to you, trying to get you withdrawn and self-focused. Friends, is the forgiveness you have in Christ enabling you to resist Satan's lies? Where you can say, like what's said of Joshua, that I am a brand, I'm a branch that's been plucked from the fire. I am chosen by God. I am forgiven by God. He's clothed me with pure vestments. Satan's lies are not going to work on me because I belong to Christ. Friends, is your identity in Christ secure so you're able to resist Satan's lies? Number four, is this forgiveness you experience from God, is it driving you to know God more? Friends, very practically, is the fact that you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I believe in Jesus, is that driving you to know God more? Jesus doesn't forgive us of our sins so we get out a hell-free card and go live our lives like we want. He wants us to pursue him as he pursues us. He wants us to read his word and to pray and to talk about him with others and to worship him. Friends, is the sweetness of forgiveness in your life driving you to read more, pray more, to fellowship more, to worship him more? And number five, is that forgiveness driving you to want to serve God more? Is the fact that you can say, yes, 100% of my sins are forgiven, is that driving you to want to do more for God's work around the world? God forgives us it doesn't leave us on the sidelines. And since we give all the football yesterday, he puts us back in the game. He forgives us to have us do what he's called us to do. He's given us strength. He's given us help. He's given us resources. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us talents, all for his purposes. And he desires for us to embrace our forgiveness in Christ, to seek to grow in godliness, and to now step out and do what he has called us to do. So, for instance, Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? Yes. He forgives all of our sins so we may know him and serve. And I pray for myself and for you this week that we'll marvel at that truth, delight in that truth, and God give us grace to step out in faith, seeking him more and seeking to serve him more. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. You looked upon us like Joshua, clothed in filthy garments, clothed with something so repulsive and in a stench to you. The sin of our hearts, the sin of our words, the sin of our thoughts, the sin of our actions, things, Lord, that our whole lives are full of sin because at our very core, we are sinners. And what is a stench to you, and instead of putting us away because of our sin, you found a way to put away our sin from us, to cover us with Christ's righteousness, to take the punishment that we deserve so that we can stand before you clothed with pure vestments, with pure garments, to stand before you righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because you have declared us to be righteous because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, as we think about that, thank you seems so inadequate. I think you see it's almost like such shallow words. Lord, we confess to you so often we take this marvelous truth that we are forgiven of every sin. We kind of shrug our shoulders at it. Lord, forgive us for becoming cold and indifferent so often to this glorious truth. Lord, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, would this week, through your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, would you awaken our hearts 
to really, really understand that we are forgiven of every sin. Lord, I pray that that wouldn't lead us to trample upon your grace. I pray that wouldn't lead us to presume upon your grace. I pray that wouldn't lead us to excuse sin or justify sin, thinking, oh, I'm already forgiven. But God, I pray that this week, as we marvel and we dwell and we think about the fact that all of our sins are forgiven by Christ, I pray, God, your Holy Spirit would use it to cause us to hunger and thirst for your word and for prayer and for being in your presence, perhaps unlike anything we've experienced in a long time. Or I know in a room this size where there's some here who are feeling really cold and discouraged, much like the Jewish people were at the time when they were struggling with all the trials they were walking through. And I pray that today you would just reach down and grab them. They would sense you holding them and they would know that you love them even though life is hard. And Lord, for those of us who are experiencing your grace and are at an easier time, I pray that we'd realize there's nothing we've done to deserve that. It's your grace in all these things. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that today, Lord, you would help us understand your glory, your beauty in new and deeper ways, to see your greatness even in this text here and to marvel at it all this week, that we get to know you, the sovereign creator of all things who has redeemed us and rescued us and is transforming us more and more. Help us marvel at that. Even now as we sing about this glorious truth, I pray you turn our hearts to you. This will be an act of worship to you, Lord, as a prayer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? i 
to lift our voices and proclaim that, that you are Lord, that you are Savior, Lord, you are the Savior of us. Lord, I pray that today that what we've just declared, what we've studied would not leave us when we leave this room, but Lord, all week long we would think about how holy you are, and Lord, all week long we'd be proclaiming, Lord, with our lives and with our thoughts and with our songs as well, that holy is the Lord. So we ask for much grace. We can't create hearts that stay in tune with you this week you can. So Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Each one of us in would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us out this week focused on you, delighting in you, worshiping you all week long for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great afternoon. I told you I to do it, didn't I? Hunger for God's word. We all should. So I'm grateful for it. Send that in here. Yeah,